Well, good morning. I hope everybody made it to breakfast this morning. If not, uh, the ones that didn't probably will stay awake. The rest of you are going to have to work at it. Uh, I ate a little more than I usually do on Sunday mornings. So. Psalm 71 is where we are this morning. I invite you to turn to your copy of God's Word. I'm going to read just the first six verses this morning, and we're going to ambitiously seek to, to, to look at this whole chapter today as we as we get close to the end of book two of of the of the psalms and if whether you know it or not um the psalms are divided up into books and so that's what we've been working on as we get through the second book so stand with me just in reverence if you can out of reverence to his word notice we'll look at this in a minute uh, psalm 71 has no doesn't have a subtitle on it, and uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. So it begins, Psalm 71, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you have I leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. Let's pray together. So, Lord, we are a group of people that are both very young and not so young and uh, and everywhere in between today with all manner of experiences in our life, all manner of degrees of maturity in our walk with the Lord. Some haven't even began their walk with the Lord yet. And, And so, Lord, we need all need you this morning to do your perfect work in us, to write us, to orient us, to help us to realize the, both the seriousness and the joyfulness and the brevity of life, that we dare not waste this precious gift that we've been given. And so, Lord, help us to understand the psalmist today and where he's at in his season of life so that we can learn from your word as we learn from the psalmist today. We ask for your help today in Jesus' name. Amen. So this, as I said, this psalm has no title or no subtitle. And that is interesting. Most of them, even when we don't know the author, have something there. Uh, What's interesting, if you you think back and, and study this particular psalm, the first three verses is taken almost verbatim from Psalms 31, which is a Davidic psalm. It also sounds a lot like Psalms 40, and so some people believe that this was either connected to it or this was David in, as, as a mature adult, as an older adult, picking through some of his psalms, putting them together as a reflection. Uh, Spurgeon says it this way. We've got to have a quote from Spurgeon in here today. Uh, it says, 
we have here the prayer of the aged believer who in holy confidence of faith, strengthened by a long and remarkable experience, pleads against his enemies and asks for further blessings for himself. And so, just honestly today, whatever age you are, when you think of old age, whatever that is, and I think it's relative to your age, when you think of old age, what comes to mind? Is it good thoughts or is it bad thoughts? Is it dread or fear? Is it anticipation? Is it this idea that one day I just, just get to just quit work and just, you know, live in leisure for the rest of my life? The truth is none of us are going to escape it. I can bear witness from a man who, who worked long hours my whole life. Uh, it seemed like I was 20, and in then working, working, working six days a week, and next thing I know, I looked up, and I'm in my 40s, and I'm having to put glasses on, and <laughs> you know, and you realize, my goodness, this old age is coming. There is a, a biblical principle. We're going to come back to it, but I want to start with it because I don't want us to miss it, and it's found in 2 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, a very important passage for all of us, especially those who have particular callings, but it's really for the whole church. Keep in mind when you flip over to a book like 2 Timothy, it's not written to the church, it's written to a pastor. And Timothy is that pastor. Paul is his discipler. In 2 Timothy 2 verse 1, it says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so I just want to get to that this morning, and I want to come back to it again because I don't want us to miss this important point. All of us, no matter what age we are, should have people on both sides of us, people that are more mature in the faith, helping us to understand how then we should live and we should have people that are younger in the faith that we are helping. And brothers and sisters, I don't care what age you are. If you think you only need to be around people your own age, it is a, a more telling about you than it is about them. You need younger people around you, whether they get on your nerves or not. And you need older people around you. You need both. Age segregation is not a biblical concept. Discipleship is. And so here comes a man who has gotten to an older age and he wants to do some things. And our elder book that we training book that we go through, this introduction really speaks to me because I ran a small business for years. And it says the failure of small businesses is to pass on the knowledge that it has to the next generation. And so when the older generation passes off the scene, there's nobody there. Nobody knows how to do what the guys who got old and retired knows how to do. And that's either a failure to pass on or a failure of the younger generation to step up. We have the same problem in churches. We look around all over this county and multiple counties, just pick one or states. And we see churches of a mostly older generation. Nobody is bestowing 
and nobody is there to be bestowed. And so that's the message for us today. God's presence, God's faithfulness, His blessing in the psalmist's life should be an example for the next generation on how they should live. Reflections, confessions of a senior saint today. First one is one we hear a lot in the Psalms. He has never changed his, his tune. God is my rock and my fortress. Now, if we fly up a little bit in the Psalms, I don't know if your, 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 your Bible has that or not, but if we fly up in the Psalms, you're getting to the end of this book. And from a big picture's perspective, David is old. Solomon next week is coming on the scene. And so the, the book then is ending, this, this psalm book is ending with David being an older king, passing on to a younger king. The question is, is God still going to be faithful to the next generation? And is the next generation going to be faithful to him? So that's, that's the big picture. So that's why I, I'm convinced, and many other guys are as well, this actually is a psalm of David, is his reflections and he hasn't changed this. And we said this last week. We're going to say it again. God is both Lord and he is God. Verse 1. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me not be put to shame. In other words, his, his point is the Lord must be personal enough to care for me my whole life long. He's saying he has. He's testifying to the personal, intimate nature of his God. One more Spurgeon quote. I won't do any more, I promise. I don't think there's another one in here. He said, happy is the person who can use the pronoun my. All mine will be his and all his will be mine. And you see it all through the psalmist. You see it through this passage I take refuge, and it'll ever let me be put to shame. Deliver me, rescue me. This is personal. This word in verse 2, look at verse 2. It says, in your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Righteousness goes to God's covenant reliability. His, as we just got through singing, his constancy. We are not constant. He is. We are not completely faithful. He is. And so we depend on him. Verse 3 says, Be to me a rock and a refuge to which I may continually come. That's our word today, continually. It's in here several times. Continually. He's reflecting back on his years from his youth to the age that he is now. And he said, God has been a rock for me. What he means by that in his mind is sometimes I stand on a rock. Sometimes I... I climb under the rock for protection, and sometimes I even go into the rock. It's this picture of David entering into a cave for protection. God is, has been whatever he needed to be through all the various changes and turmoil and life that he has been through, and he's reflecting on that. God's help is continuous. It is dependable. And last week we learned we are not we are poor and we are needy. The psalmist says, I've learned in my life that all it takes is one word from him and I am saved. One word. So he, 
He must be personal, but he also has to be big enough. Verse 4, rescue me, oh my God. So you see, he uses the word Lord, now he uses the word God. From the hand of the wicked, from the grass of the unjust and cruel man. We're going to talk about that guy again. He's still here. David's old. He's still here. And so God, so, so, so the psalmist has found there is a sovereign rescuer in his life. From the time he was a child until, he, until now. And so... This drives to these sort of what we would call the indicatives. These, this what God is, what God has been, just these things that are true. God has been, for the psalmist, his lifelong hope. And not only for him, just listen to the prophet Jeremiah 17, in Jeremiah 17, 13. He said, O Lord, the hope of Israel. That's what he's reflecting on. That Yahweh, the Lord, Jehovah has always been faithful to his people. He's never forsaken them. Even when they thought he was, he was disciplining them. That that is, he is for the psalmist because he always has been the source of trust. Look at verse 5. He said, he's cared for me from my youth. This reflects a man that has been following the Lord since he was a child. Now, whatever age you were when you came to faith, this psalmist is simply bearing a testimony that he's been following the Lord since he was a child and that God has always proved a source of trust and reliability in all of his life. Everything he's ever promised him has come true wasn't because he was great. It wasn't because David was talented. Remember, he was the least of eight sons. But he praises him because in his life he's proven himself. He's, he's beckoning, and listen carefully, he's beckoning the people that's listening to, to take the risk of trusting God. You sit there going, it's no risk in trusting God. You had never did what God told you to do. That if going that direction means your life could be turned out. It feels like a risk when you trust the Lord sometimes. It does. And if it hadn't yet, just hang on. He's going to find something that you don't want to do, that you don't think you can do, to go around people that you'd rather not be around, and He's going to go tell you to plant your life right there. And that's going to feel awful weird and sort of dangerous. Because when God calls you to do something, He don't put any safety net around you. Just says, one step at a time, I'll trust me. I'll take care of you. That's what He's calling people to do. As an old man, He's still stepping. He said, it didn't begin when I put my faith in Christ. God protected me from the womb. Verse 6. Here's our sanctity of life coming up again all through Scripture. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. So if that's true, what he says is, my praise is continuously going to be of you. Because you are the one who protected me from before I was even born. You put your hand on me. You chose me. I was the king before I existed. You said, I don't understand that. Well, I don't either. But it just happens to be true. 
That's why he's trustworthy. That's why we, he's the only one that we can lean on. Before the psalmist could love him, God loved the psalmist. That's what he told us, wasn't it? Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. That's the gospel. So this senior saint foundation is on the Lord God. His Lord, he is his God, his everything. And so he confesses, I will trust you in my old age. By the way, you're sitting there going, oh, I'm talking about old people today. No, I'm talking about you. You don't determine to trust him when you get old, just when you get old. You must make that decision when you are young. He says, verse 9, Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not. I really don't like this phrase, but it really does capture the whole psalm. When my strength is spent, he says, I'm going to trust you despite growing weakness. Come on now. You got a little, little, little white or maybe nothing at all. This reality is hard to face, isn't it? Me and Sean cutting wood yesterday. That chainsaw got progressively heavier. After about three hours, it was, it was like 300 pounds. You know, I was having to use my leg to pick it up, you know. Don't, when I sling that, that log over there, that wood over there, it used to be so light. Now I'm like, oh, what is that? It's called arthritis. It's not funny, but we got to laugh, isn't it? The injuries that we had when we were young come back. There's even something a cousin did. Arthritis called bursitis, right? Like, I know, what is that? It's in there if you get a little age on you. Surgeries. I don't know how many surgeries me and my wife have collectively together. We ought to win a prize or something. It's true. These things have their cost on us as we age. It creates things that we, we used to do well and now we don't do them as well or we can't do them as long. But what old age can't do it doesn't lower our worth. It doesn't diminish our value. It doesn't, it doesn't shrink how much we're loved, nor does it change our God-given purpose in this life. Your purpose doesn't change. When you've accomplished your purpose, you go home. I got another quote, but I'm not saying it's from Spurgeon. It's not necessarily from Spurgeon. Old age robs us of personal beauty and deprives us of strength for active service, but it does not lower us in the love and favor of God. David wants us to be able to see old age as a gift, a gift to be used for his glory and the blessing of others for what he has allowed us and brought us through in our life. People behind us have not been through it yet. The psalmist acknowledges that uh, youth has its advantages, so you shouldn't waste it. 
It's also acknowledging that old age has advantages as well. David said, I've walked with God in the land of the living here, and I understand his presence, his faithfulness, and his blessing. And so if you want to experience it, you probably need to sit down and ask me to coffee. And to the degree you want, you will struggle because you're not humble enough to ask somebody who has already been there, has already fought the fight. I will trust the Lord despite my weaknesses and despite my persistent problems. Verses 10 and 11, for my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together. It's like, how many times have we read this in the Psalms? Are you with me since we've been reading in the Psalms? This is an over and over thing. No matter what age this brother has been in in his life, there's been one constant, persistent thing. What What is it? Enemies. Enemies, foreign enemies, sneaking into his territory, trying to encroach on the land, his own family, people that he trusted. I mean, it's just... And here he is as an old man. You would have thought he's conquered it. He's an old king now. Who's fought his whole life long. And what's still there? Enemies. So there's persistent problems. The question is, what's yours? What's your persistent problem? Because listen, we all have them. And to the degree we can turn our nose up because we don't have one that you have and you have one that I don't have and act like we've we've got it put together. We all have persistent problems and so did he. Whether it was relational or financial or depression or fears, anxieties, chronic health issues or some kind of mental limitation that we have, they're persistent. We have prayed for God to take them away. He hasn't said yes yet. Doesn't that remind you of a passage in the Bible? Let me just read it for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Paul speaking to the church here. Paul's seen, Paul's seen some amazing things. And in verse 7 in 2 Corinthians 12, it says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me. By the way, that harass means to beat. To keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecution and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When you get some miles on your engine, that verse is going to mean something to you. I will trust the Lord. Despite my weaknesses, despite my limitations, despite my persistent issues in my life. And I will trust in him despite how I feel. Sometimes just ain't feeling it. Sometimes we feel desperate. David still is or a psalmist is. Verse 12, oh God, be not far from me. Oh, make haste to help me. That's last week's psalm coming back to us again. 
Will I feel abandoned, confused, desperate? Or listen, just sad. Sometimes, you know, life just makes you just like, I'm not mad. I'm just, I'm just sad because I can't work 12 hours a day anymore. Some of you still can. Some of you think that's the craziest thing in the world to work that long a day. Many of us, it's just normal. Been our whole life long. Can't do it anymore. Sometimes it's just sad. It's okay. Life changes. Listen to this. Probably the best verse of the day. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 4. It says, Even to your old age I am he, and to your gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear I will carry and I will save. That's good news. It is a a resolve, a reflection, a confession of confidence by by this older believer to say that despite all these temporal limitations, despite all my still abiding fears and even growing fears as I get older, I will remember that the Lord is the one who plucked me up, set me on a rock, placed me at where I am today, and He has never let me fall so far that He has not pulled me up, restored me, corrected me, and He uses me despite what I've been through and despite what I've done. It's good news. We would, we would do well to sit back and learn from Him today. So despite how I feel, despite my limitations, despite my weaknesses, I will continually praise the Lord. That's what he's saying. And he says it over and over again. This is not the first time he says it. I will exalt his glory. Verse 7 and 8. I have been as a portion to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Now, what is that word? Look at verse 7. You see that word portion? Like, what in the world? You didn't, you, I bet you won't not, have never used that word in a sentence. Like, what is that? It actually is tricky because it can be a bad negative word or positive word, depending on the context. Uh, but most likely, especially if this is, in fact, David, what is, he, what is he saying is, as a king, I have been a leader, and there have been those that have been following me. They, they, people look to me every day for direction of what we need to do. It's the burden of leadership. People are always watching you. They're always asking you the question. And that's what's David's life. He said, I've been an example, a leader to many my whole life. Some, often for the good, sometimes not so good. And so that's his encouragement to us today. Discipleship means that somebody is watching you. Here's the purpose. Here's the point of a good discipler. We're, we're sitting there going, I am not your rock. Don't get fixated on a person. Don't get clingy to a person. Because they're going to let you down. They get tired. They don't want to talk to anybody today and you need somebody to talk to. Everybody's going to have to have that happen. He's sitting there going, I am not your rock. 
Get your rock wrong, and it'll be just like Jesus said. You'll build your life on the sand. And when the storm comes, when the person falls, it you'll fall. What is sand? Anything other than Christ alone. Anything other than Christ alone. He's going to worship him. He's going to give him glory despite the hard. Look down to verse 14. But I will, here's our word again, I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. The, the resolve, the confession, the determination is the harder it gets, the more I'm going to worship the Lord. Age should not diminish worship. Age should increase it. You are, you are what you watch and listen to all the time. And if you're nothing but a person who watches the news more than the times you spend with the Lord, it is no wonder that you become a cynical old person. You should worship more as you age because we have seen more, we have been blessed more, we have, we have been through more, and it should produce in our life a steadfast confidence. Hebrews 10, 23 encourages us to let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who has promised is faithful. And if you look at Hebrews 10, 23, the finished work of Jesus Christ is the confession of our hope. That's, that's the unwavering thing. That's where we put our faith. Not in ourselves and not in anybody else. Our worship always has a declaration to it. It's not just a private worship. We are to declare God's salvation. We are to tell people what He has done in our life. We are to say when someone comes up to me and it happens now because I've you know got stage four you know and how you doing, right? You bet I'm going to say, God's got me in remission right now. Declare the deeds of God. Take, a, take the hard. Understand it in the context of God's sovereignty. And use it as a bridge for His glory. That's what He's saying to do. God has saved you. He is saving you. And He will save you. So everything that He does in our life is, is free. We'll pick that one up. We'll use that one today. Remind yourself of it. Get your mind right in the mornings, brothers and sisters. Remember what God has done in your life and be ready to use it. Declare the mighty deeds of God. Lament is good. Lament we should do. We've been talking about lament. But lament should lead to worship. You're not lamenting if it doesn't lead to worship. Right? You're not biblically lamenting if it doesn't end in gratefulness because that's part of it. It's part of it. It's how we move through it. Nobody wants to listen. Listen, it's some people sitting there going, you know, I disciple people. I'm an older person, been, been walking with the Lord a long time. I'd, I'd love to disciple a person, but nobody seems to want to hang around me. It's probably because you complain all the time. Sorry. It's probably that. Nobody wants to be around somebody we're the only thing we ever talk about is our next doctor's appointment. I'm just saying, I, hey, I've got doctor's appointments all the time. 
But nobody wants to sit around constantly and swim in that with you. The passage is teaching us there's something wonderful that you have to bring to the table. Bring it. Philippians 3, 8, listen to a man, I would say, who suffered more than most of us. Philippians 3, 8 says, Indeed, this is Paul, he's in prison by the way. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For I have suffered the loss of all things. Who could say that in this room? Right? That's what I'm saying. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So what I'm saying today is one of the most powerful things that God has given you is first your life, then salvation, and then your testimony. Your testimony. That's what he's saying. I want, I want to do something. And so that's what he, he gets at next. The senior saint confesses, I'm going to pass on the legacy of faith. Because God has faithfully entrusted him with something, with things. He desires to pass that on. Verse 17. Oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. I'm still doing it. You're still teaching us. You never stop learning. And so we never stop worshiping. So let's go back to that 2 Timothy again. Let's go back to 2 Timothy. Let's start in chapter 1. You just see this legacy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse 13. 2 Timothy 1.13. It says, Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me and the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So yes, God taught it to him. But who was the instrument, Paul? When God does something in your life, he's going to send somebody to do it. He, don't, he didn't have to. Just 98% of the time, it's the way he chooses to work. He sends people into your life. Paul had invested in Timothy's life. That's why he could speak such truth into his life. God gave it to him through Paul who taught it to him. And through the power of the Holy Spirit that was given to Timothy, he said, guard it. Guard what's been entrusted. Guard what? You have your life, you have your salvation, you have your testimony. And we should guard it. That's why holiness is important. Because you don't guard it and you blow your testimony, nobody wants to listen to what you have to say. Be, we are stewards of it. That's why it's important. That's why holiness is important. We are stewards of what we've been entrusted with. And we don't waste it and we don't bury it in the ground. The idea of you going off to the beach somewhere and collecting seashells one day is a pagan idea. It's not a Christian idea. 
We have work to do. And if you go to the beach, then that is your mission field when you go. Don't buy into that. It's a lie. It's a lie straight from the pit of hell. God calls us all, whatever age we are, to share what we have been entrusted with. Verse 18. Psalm 71, back in Psalm 71. So even to your old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me. Listen. Until I proclaim your might to another generation. See that? I know I'm old. That's what the psalmist is saying. I know I'm old. I know there's things that I can't do. But I have learned an awful lot about my God and about my Lord. So don't take me home yet until I pass on what you have taught me to the next generation. This is exactly what Paul said in 2 Timothy 2, wasn't it? What you have heard from me, Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust that to faithful men. They've got to be faithful. Why? Because those men are responsible to teach others. We're all supposed to be working ourselves out of a job to some degree. We entrust it to faithful men who's going to be able to step up and trust it to someone else. You're not eternal. And you're not promised 80-something years. God has determined how long the span of your life is. And He's told you not to waste what you've got. He's not going to tell you how long it is. So share it. Steward it. So we receive it. Then we share it. And then what we're doing is sitting back and we're praying to God for fruit. And that's the hard part of discipleship. But sometimes we don't see the fruit we want to see. But God says, just wait. Wait on me. The confessor's joy after he thinks about, after he ponders all this, is more worship. More worship. He, and so from verses 19 to the end of the verse, he's just worshiping God. My God, there's nobody like you. Comes back to his righteousness again. Your righteousness, oh God, reaches to the high heavens. You remember that song when we were kids? I used to sing it. It was deep and wide, deep and wide, and the teacher gets you going, so your hands got mixed up. There's a fountain flowing deep and wide. That's what he's saying. That's what that song was teaching us. There's more of God than there is your capacity to ever know him. And when we get to eternity, though there's no years in eternity and eons above eons go by, we, have, we would just have scratched the surface what it is to know God. So we make it our task to know Him. My God, you've delivered me, verse 20, from sin and shame. Verse 20, you have made me see many troubles and calamities. He will revive me again from the depths of the earth. First Peter 1.18, Peter's remembering that he's reminding us, believers, that we were ransomed, 1 Peter 1.18, from a particular way of life, a particular destination. 
It says, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish and spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope in God. God has saved me. So God will save me. That's what he wants us to understand this morning. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. It's future. Look down at verse 22. He ties us to all of creation. He says, for we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly, waiting eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? For if we hope in what we don't see, We wait for him with patience. God has saved me, so God will save me. And so, I'm just going to keep on worshiping you while I wait. I'm going to bring everything to bear. He's He's trusting God, verse 21, to be his comfort. 2 Corinthians 1 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort others, so that we may do what God has given us to do. So let me go ahead and move to this so what? So what? What legacy are you going to leave? We said, I'm going to. You know, I'm, I'm 15. I'm not worried about that. Everybody's leaving one. Do you think you deserve to live to 80? What if the Lord says no? Then what legacy are you going to leave? We know many people who did not live past their 20s or 30s, but have made a lasting impression on us who stand here today. Legacy, just so you know what I mean. Something transferred by or received from an ancestor or a predecessor or from the past. Something you're, you're leaving. Something that you must transmit. You must transfer. Another way of saying is there are certain things in life that must be bestowed. Must be handed down. You ask many people that are unchurched today, that were in church at one point in time, the only thing that was ever handed down to them was that which they shouldn't do. This warped, um, controlling legalism. The hats they shouldn't wear. Where they should drink and where they should not drink as far as where the beverages should be carried. Dress on either degree. 
Either you should always look like this or you should always look like that. There is a very man-centered thing that people try to bestow. You ever tried to get a, reach down at the beach and carry a handful of sand and try to pass it to somebody else? And the harder you squeeze it, the more you lose it. You try to do pass that on about three times. There'll be nothing left in your hand. That you pick up a rock and pass it. There's a difference between passing what Christ says to pass on and passing what things that are important to us that have nothing to do with our Lord. We should seek to pass on what He tells us to pass on. Many churches today, this is just heartbreaking, are only a few years from a yard, from a four cell sign and an empty gymnasium. And that's going to be the legacy they leave as land? May we never make this mistake. All your stuff one day, whether we like it or not, how much, how precious it is right now to you or not, will be in somebody else's yard sale. If it makes it to that. Of course, we buy most of our stuff from China these days and it breaks in two weeks anyway. Here's the point. Here's what I'm asking by legacy. What disciples are you making? That's the only really question that matters. Not what you accomplished not what name, not what title they put at the end or the beginning of your name. Not that which hangs on your wall. Not what people name after you. How many people did you help follow Jesus Christ? That's what eternally matters. That's going to be your legacy. I don't know when this passage really got a hold of me. Like you say, time really goes by fast. I'd imagine it's been 20 years. Ezra 7.10. I can still remember reading it for the first time. When I first read this, I had no ability to speak. I was, I was fearful to be around anybody. I didn't really like people that much. I especially wasn't going to get up in front of public and speak. I had no desire to. But this verse got a hold of me. Ezra 7.10 says this, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach its statutes and rules in Israel. Do you see it? It's a starting point here. The starting point. You need to seek and savor God's word for yourself. Not for anybody else. Not to please anybody else, but simply to know Him. To know Him. He has been with you your whole life long. He is the reason you are here and not in a box somewhere. He, he's been with you. Seek and savor God's word for yourself and then seek to obey it. For His glory, not for other people's approval. I'm going to know it. I'm going to do it. And so God, so help me, I'm going to teach it. I had no ability to teach when I began to pray for this. Lord, I just want to teach what you teach me. 
Whether whether God calls you to a formal position of teaching or not, he's called every single one of us to be a disciple maker. You don't retire from it. Our Lord bestowed that on us, and we are called to bestow it on the next generation. This is the work that God puts in front of us. This is what the psalmist gets to the end of this book. And listen, the end of his life and says, don't forget what God has done in your life. And don't forget to teach what he's done to the next generation. Psalms 92, verse 12, close with this, says, The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of God. They still bear fruit in old age that every full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. There is both a charge for us as we look to the future and a promise for us that we will bear fruit. Let's pray. So, Lord, we thank you for your promises, for your encouraging word this morning to us. And so now we come to this time and we call here, Lord, a response. Because we're all like, we're all leaving a legacy, Lord. We're all making disciples. And you know that, Lord, we're all called to respond. And we all will respond. And so, Lord, as we, as we come to the tables here in a minute, we just ask you, as your children, to forgive us of our sins for these times and many times and many ways that we have stepped into our flesh Lord, we thank you for the cross so we can come anytime to say, Lord, forgive us. Orient us back towards you. Back toward the right relationship. And so, Lord, we want to come to the tables and remember our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave everything so that we could be your children. The one who promises to that he has saved us and that he will save us until we are safely home. So grant us worship as we, as we lay our offerings down and as we come to the tables and as we offer the, our mouths up to declare the, your goodness. Lord, we thank you that you've given us another week to do it. That you've given us another Sunday to gather with your people. Let us not take these moments for granted for they are the sweetness of life, the nectar that you have provided for us is those people in our lives that you bring into us, Lord. May, may we learn from them and may they learn from us, Lord, that we may be mature, lacking nothing. Receive our worship now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.